I've got to tell you that uh, it's great to be back in the pulpit. It's it's really been about six weeks. I shared with Dorothy early this morning that I was very nervous about uh, about preaching today because I just feel like it's been so long. And now uh, there is guilt that goes with that for me because now I'm not going to be preaching for another two weeks, but I'll explain that in just a second. But I also thought about where we've come and what we've heard over these past six weeks. Think about this. Six weeks ago, we had the confirmation class standing before us and a few of them sharing deeply their faith stories. On that same Sunday, Alina Bennett Uh, shared just amazing pieces of her faith story, touching the hearts of everyone in this congregation. The Sunday after that, we had the graduates, those who were making these major transitions in their lives, and two of them shared their faith stories and powerful, powerful events that had led up to where they're headed in their lives. Then, then, That Memorial Day weekend, one of the most powerful visual events that I have ever seen in worship occurred. Our own intern, Dirk Robinson, came to church in his full-dress blue uniform. And right here, on this step, took off his outer garment and knelt before anyone in this congregation who would and washed their feet and defined for us again Servanthood, and particularly the kind of servanthood we see or need to experience in the church. Then came the next Sunday, and and Shannon, uh, uh, and we talked about leadership and volunteering and celebrated that, and I gave a very short message that Sunday. But then the next Sunday, as we were away, some of us at annual conference, Shannon talked about connection and how we are connected, and then came Carrie's sermon last Sunday. I will tell you, I was overwhelmed by her message last Sunday. I thought it was magnificent. In the midst of this time of transition for them, a magnificent message for us in answering the call of God, even in what appear to be challenging circumstances. I want you to hear that statement again answering the call of God in what appears to be challenging circumstances. A reminder that between services this Sunday, I met with a group of folks who just had some questions about why this transition has happened with Carrie and Paul, and that will also be available after this service. In room 22, anybody who has questions or wants to talk about that, feel free. This, as you'll see, uh, and, and part of the leadership of this church has always been very transparent, and this will be a very transparent conversation. And so I want to invite you to come and be a part of that if it's something that you want more information about. Today I'm also shifting and we're moving in a direction toward what we're going to be dealing with this summer, and you'll hear more about that, but I want to also tell you about the next two weeks. Next week I'll be on vacation and... Christy McLean is going to come and bring the message about her last trip to Ethiopia. You're going to hear some pieces from me today about Wesley. And Wesley was clear that the world, the globe, is our parish. And you're going to see a piece of that as Christy comes to share her message. I've heard one of the stories, only one. It absolutely took my breath away. Do not miss next Sunday. But then we're not done. 
the next Sunday, Laura is going to come and bring the message as 14 of us with others are going to be riding the Seattle to Portland bike ride uh, Saturday and Sunday. And so Laura's going to talk about the Good Samaritan, but with cycling in mind. Um, and I can't, you know, I am so tempted to just ride back here from Kelso, hear the message, and then ride on to Portland. <laughs> I will tell you right now, it ain't happening. But I, you know, but it's going to be a beautiful message, and all there's some creative things that are happening around that. And then I'll be back for a while. I also want to remind you that part of what ties all this together, just one reminder that last April, what I did was ask you to, um, to, to write me notes about what were the messages that you've always wanted to hear and what sermons are, are those that you've wanted to, to hear about on Sunday mornings. And so it took, I got about 14 or 15 of those and I've tried to kind of bring those together along with where we've come over the last six weeks and find those significant, consistent points well, there are a couple. One is, what is God? And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. And for me, just so you know, as, we, as I get ready for this, is God is not some ethereal distant figure, not someone who sits up on some heavenly throne in some distant kingdom that is totally unapproachable and uh, just really wants to make us feel guilty all the time. God, to me, is much bigger than that. God is this power that is unexplainable. But if we open ourselves up to that power, God also becomes the filter through which we are defined and our actions are defined. But what tied most of these elements together really was practical Christianity. How do all these elements that we talk about theologically combine with things that happen with us every day? And that's where I want to go today, to introduce what that may mean. And then as we deal with Ethiopia, and as we deal with cycling and community and neighbor, and as we look at the rest of the summer, we're going to talk a whole lot more about that because it has to do with the headlines, often has to do with the psychological issues, the medical issues, the social issues, the spiritual elements, even the denominational issues that we have had to come to terms with over these last 30 or 40 years. But where I want to begin are the headlines. Over the last week, what I've done is just, and I do, every morning at about 6.30 or 7 o'clock, I go out and pick up the paper and have my cup of coffee or tea and sit on the front porch no matter the weather and read the paper front to back. And this last week really began to pull the headlines out that I thought were important for us to come to terms with, particularly today. Here are a few from last week. Victories for gay marriage, but still not the law of the land. United States Senate passes sweeping immigration measures, but conflict ensues. New England Patriot tight end arrested for murder. And then it has now come to light, secondary headline, potentially not just one, but three. The NFL creates distance. Surging mortgage rates hit 4.46%. Mental health. Group shuts down operations in Normandy Park. 
and the last early blast of summer heat. So as we begin our third summer together, I'd like to begin to set the stage for what's to come over the next 12 weeks. I want to explore headlines, our response to headlines, and what this means about our relationship with our Creator as our filter. But let's talk about reality for just a minute. You've heard me talk in in great length at times about where we are today and that there is a huge degree of distrust in the world today around anything religious. And that distrust comes at a variety of levels in a variety of locations and comes in a variety of flavors. Beyond that, the things like the whole idea of family, in quotes, is now in a time of being redefined and has become not more simple in definition, but much, much more complex. It appears to me that politically, sides are no longer communicating healthily with each other. Did you know that there have been more censuring, more censures in this year and in this era than any other time in history where one political figure censures the other on both sides of the aisle and even in the middle? In a time where we've truly needed to hear intelligent discussions around multiple sides of issues, the multiple sides seem to now be communicating in a much more shrill way than any time before this other than the time of Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. And just so you know, Lincoln, Republican, Kennedy, Democrat, it crosses the lines. We keep struggling with issues like immigration, like abortion, capital punishment, homosexuality, even homelessness. And there seems to be no place where you can come any longer and have open and safe discussions around any of these. Because no matter where you fall on these issues, it appears to me that you will be judged heartily no matter what. So where do we talk about any of the above-mentioned items? It seems to be a time, and you can go back to Enron, and even before that, and now looking at the NFL and the NBA and other sports uh, figures where all too many of our powerful figures feel that they're above the law. So what do we do about that? Did you know that even today, the King County Council or Task Force to to End Homelessness has given up? They've given up. This is the reality of the time in which we live. And did I mention that there is an inherent distrust in anything religious in the midst of this time? Now, why did I bring the books out? This is not the first time, friends. Not the first time in history where we faced these kinds of things. I'm going to go back to the time of John Wesley and read to you what I believe some of the headlines might have been in the newspapers of that time. Let me just remind you of just one quick point of history around Wesley, that Wesley's father's congregation was so upset with him and they couldn't figure out how to get him out of there. So a group of the trustees, I'm looking for the trustees right now, decided the only and best way to do that was to light his house on fire. That would be the parsonage, friends. 
So maybe the headline would read something like this. Congregation tries to rid themselves of pastor, of pastor, tortures the parsonage, and almost kills a child. It was John Wesley who was in the upstairs bedroom and who said later, like a spark or a brand plucked from the fire, I now need to do the work of God. Another headline, poor house finally overflows. Children under the age of 10 are turned away and now required to live on the streets alone. True story. Newest epidemic. Death of homeless children on the rise. Next headline. Rat infestation also on the rise. No solutions. Next headline. Coal mine explosion kills 1,700 souls. And what was the response of the church during all this? Well, for most of the Anglican denominations or in most of the Anglican churches, what the response was, was they prayed for every one of those, every single one of those situations. They prayed for those children on the street. They prayed for the families of the, 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 the mine explosion. They offered prayers. At the same time they were offering those prayers, they were selling the pews in the front of the church to those mine owners who refused to take actions that would provide safety for those who were killed in the mines. I have a problem with that. But let's keep going. And believe me, there is hope on the other side of this. How about the time of Jesus? What might the headlines have been in the time of Jesus? Maybe they were these. Roman soldiers crucify thousands. No one sure why. Or Caesar becomes God again. Mortality rate hits all-time high. Children, widows, and orphans hit hardest. Homelessness jumps to 80%. Prediction is 90%. Jewish temple authorities spend millions remodeling the temple. Wow. And again, you know that I do my research. Those would have been headlines at that time. But what did John Wesley and Jesus do in response to those? Let's start with John Wesley first. John Wesley heard the prayers and knew that it wasn't enough. So what Wesley did is he didn't just stay in the pews or stay behind the doors of the church. He went. He went to the mining community where that explosion had happened and spent time with those miners. He did not go empty-handed. He took food and money and hope and encouragement and prayer, not in some lofty pulpit elevated in some church, but surrounded by those who had lost loved ones and prayed not just for them, but with them. Holding hands of those, spending time with those widows. He preached a message not of some God that was distant, but a God who was there with them. A God who had been in that mine at that point of explosion, surrounding those miners as they panicked and felt the loss of what they were about to have. Death. He was there with them, this God, with those families in this time of loss, surrounding them and trying to offer them solace and love 
This was the God that Wesley brought that no one really in that time had heard about before. And it was not dissimilar to what Jesus brought. Jesus introduced a God that did not any longer just live behind some Oz-like curtain in some distant temple where no one had access. Jesus presented a God that was intimate, a God that would spend time with anyone. Roman centurion, adultering woman, faithless, faithless folks. And he didn't just preach. He took his hand and placed it in the middle of the leprosy. And can you imagine the healing that happened there? Now let's deal with us and today. Today we live in a time of hopelessness again. And yet we live in a time where so many are searching so deeply, looking for answers. My concern is again, the church is incredibly, inappropriately and fearfully quiet. And we can no longer be quiet. But here's the deal on this. Part of the issue is that we are so about fighting with each other that we no longer are trusted by anyone on the outside. We have created a system of judgment rather than a a, a time and a space for communication. First service, I looked around the congregation and, and, and I looked at... Um, one of our folks, and, you know, I just said, you know, we may vehemently disagree with each other, but that doesn't mean that after that I wouldn't go out and have a glass of wine with her. That's what the church needs to be. A church needs to be a place, a community, where we can vehemently disagree with each other and yet still love each other and teach others how to do the same. I will guarantee you, and you already know this, if you know, here's a surprise. Not everybody in this congregation agrees with each other. And we have folks on polar opposite ends. And you know what? They still like each other. I don't see that very much anywhere else. But think of what we could do in this community. Because I'll tell you what. Bellevue, Issaquah, Renton, even Seattle, even West Seattle, have folks that don't agree with each other. And they do feel like they hate each other. Because they have nowhere to go where they can talk openly about any of these issues. And yet here we are, seeking, at least talking about living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is filled with amazing grace. If we but take it on. Practical Christianity means that what we have to do is engage every one of those things, or at least some of those things, in ways that will help others find hope and love and encouragement and grace and acceptance. To be that voice in the darkness, that voice in the wilderness, if you will. A voice of hope, a voice of love, a voice of acceptance, and people of action. You cannot separate those two. You have to be the voice. And with that voice comes action. That's where I'm going this summer. Christy is coming and sharing with us about Ethiopia, and I have this dream of continuing to deepen our relationship with the ministries that are occurring and the relationships that are being developed in Ethiopia. Why? Because you're here for a reason. 
And we're called to support you. And not just with money. We are looking now at the building of what is now being called a family wellness center in this church so that we can reach out to people in this community in ways that are going to help create wellness and wholeness and health. 40% of my time in the last two years has been to help families, folks who have come in for counseling. It's a lot, and I can't do it alone, nor should I. And we have, by the gift and grace of God, an emerging group of people who are stepping into this. And we are going to create this center. And the Leadership Council has already affirmed that. And there's more and more and more and more that is going to occur, particularly over the summer and launching into next year. Why? Because we need to respond. It's more than need. We're mandated to respond, and we will. Let me close with this thought. In order to appropriately respond, what we first have to take on is continuing to deepen our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. I want to challenge you again to take some time to make decisions in your lives, every one of us, that we will create Sabbath times in our lives, times set apart to be open to the voice of God, that still small voice. That we will covenant together that no matter where we are on the incredible continuum of any of these issues, that what we will do is continue to talk with each other in healthy ways about all of this and create an environment that is that open and accepting that that's what we do. And that we look around us to those places where we individually feel called to serve Ethiopia, pastoral care, other areas, and we create space for response to those areas. If we do that, if we do that, we will not be able to hold the people who would come to want to be a part of that. The reason that the church in Wesley's time and the temple in Jesus' time and even the church in our time have not responded to these things is fear. And yet, if you think about it, how often, how often did we hear the angels of God say, Fear not, for I am with you. Friends, we trust that. We trust that. Will you pray with me? God, we are surrounded by, (laughs) uh, it feels anyway, like crises. And yet we do need to see every one of those crises as opportunities. You have mandated in us action. And help us appropriately not just explore, but take on the actions that you would have us take on. I ask your blessing on this church and on our time together. As we prepare now in turn what may feel like doing a 360 on an icy road, but accelerating toward the future. 
Anoint us, guide us, equip us, empower us, fill us. All in the name of Christ. Amen.